Hi, I'm Dan from Desert Island Dicks, and this episode features the incredibly wonderful Paul Foote. He's got a show in August at the Edinburgh Fringe, and it's called Dissolve. And you know what? I went to see him do a work in progress of this show uh, last night, and it was bloody fantastic. I really enjoyed it. So I really recommend getting to see him if you can. Um, as I say, he's doing these work in progress shows, and well, I guess there'll be less work in progress and more complete as he goes on. But I would be very happy to just watch the work in progress because I thought it was brilliant. So do go and see it. And uh, he's also really funny on this episode. So I had an absolute pleasure chatting with him. And uh, I think you'll enjoy this one a lot. So with that in mind, let's stop talking now and let's get on with the show because it's Paul Foote on Desert Island Dicks. Hi, I'm Dan Benedictus and welcome to Desert Island Dicks, the show that sees you marooned on a desert island after a plane crash with the worst people and worst things imaginable. Who they are and why they're a dick is up to our guest and here to share their Desert Island Dicks with us today is comedian Paul Foote. How are you doing? Oh, very well, thank you, Daniel. And I notice, of course, you have Dick in your name. Exactly, yeah. So, um... A difficult childhood, but, you know, now I've just started a podcast, so I'm trying to take ownership of it. Yeah, so that's why you called it Dick, because you've got Dick in the name. Yeah. yeah. Well, Benedictus is especially tricky as a schoolboy, because you can just say Benedictus and emphasise the Dick, or you've got Benedictus or Bendidictus. Yes. It's a real buffet for, for schoolboys to lay into. Yeah, I never really had anything like that. I mean, my name is not particularly... You can't really bully someone based on them being called Foot no. or anything. And uh, so I was just generally bullied in just a general way, you know. <laughs> more broad sense. Yeah, more broad sense. And it's quite um, harrowing at the time, but when you look back on it, it's quite funny. <laughs> I don't know why I find it really funny. Like, when I started at the school, I had to catch the bus there, and my mother said, oh, why don't you take this? It was like a special sort of rucksack thing, but it looked like a spaceman. It was like a great big square shape, and it went on my back like I was some sort of deep-sea diver. And she said, oh, you'll be popular at school because you'll stand out, because you'll look different to everyone else. And I was thinking, no, you don't understand, mother. That's not how it works. <laughs> Looking different is not good. Yeah. And then I remember going to the school and being all awkward, like even like I had to flag the bus to stop the bus and I didn't really know how to do it. So I just like, I'd never flagged a bus before and I was only 12. So I just like waved my arm in like a massive motion <laughs> as if I was like um, one of those people who has to guide like a 747 to its parking spot. <laughs> and then I got to school and then I was just mercilessly bullied. And then I got home after my very first day at school and I had all stink bombs in all my jacket pockets. And I was hanging all my jackets on the washing line to try and get rid of the smell of the stink bombs whilst weeping. Oh, crikey. I find it funny now. <laughs> Good, because it sounds pretty harrowing, Paul, if I'm honest. I'm, uh, I'm glad there was some positive to be taken from that, because it's, yeah, not the best first day at school. Terrible. Anyway, it went on, but it got worse. 
Anyway, wait, oh, it was only another six years. Oh, man. Awful. Uh, well, Paul, I'm, obviously, I'm trying to find a, a neat segue from that into the podcast. And, I mean, all I can say is I'm, I'm really sorry. But, I mean, you found a positive from that. Are you a positive person in general? Because we're going to rant about people and things that you hate on this podcast. I mean, are you generally upbeat or do you like to no, I'm generally very positive. I think I used to be uh, less positive, but now I'm very positive. Okay. It was quite a challenge for me to come up with, a, you know, things <laughs> I could be really negative about. But I'm looking forward to it. Oh, I'm looking good. forward to getting really, really negative about the uh, things that I've chosen. Okay, so it's like a little glimpse into your past negative self, and then hopefully at the end you will be able to change back into your your normal self, and I won't have sort of ruined your life completely. So, let's... Oh, no, you won't have ruined it. It's like a holiday from the uh, relentless positivity of my normal life. Great. Okay, this is good. This is good. Okay, so your plane has crashed. You're stuck on an island. Um, who's the first person going to be on the island with you? Well, I thought Prince Harry. Okay. I thought to um, have him on the desert island, it could be quite wearing you know remember we're going to be on this desert island probably for years mm. you know for maybe like decades and then just having him there all the time just going on about oh, i was despair and i don't agree with the system i'm in favor of the monarchy but i'm kind of against the system and sort of i'm in favor but not uh, i'm not really interested in in my like various titles, but I do want them as well. And I want my children to have them, but I'm not really bothered about them as well. And also King Charles, he cut me off. Like he literally gave me no more than three million pounds to help me like move to America. It was a nightmare. And I'm and I'm gonna be just saying to Prince Harry, look, we're all on this desert island now. You know, that we we've all lost contact with, with the world. We're just like isolated now. It doesn't matter anymore. It's a new system. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter about you know, all this stuff anyway. And he would just be going on and on about it. Yeah, I, I I go for real cycles with him. You kind of think, oh, you know, he seems like a bit more fun than the others. And you go, but I do wish he'd shut up a bit. But you know, I you know, Megan had a hard time. But I do wish they'd shut up a bit. <laughs> and it's like, like you say, they can't. It's like I want to be away from this thing. I still kind of want all the benefits of it, though. Like, I still, I, you know, I still want my life to be quite easy and well paid and not have to do an awful lot. Yes, it's that mixture of some of the things he says. I think he's obviously exposed racism in the royal household and things like that. And there's a lot of the things you think, I really agree with you there, Harry. Well done for saying that. But you also then get tired of him just going on and on and on as well. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, it's that mixture with him of, um, in some ways, it, he's what he says uh, is very valid, but he's also got, like, a massive sense of entitlement, which is actually staggeringly large, you know, just this uh, sense of his own self-importance. I mean, you know, he's in the army, he's been to public school, you know, like, there's a bit where he's talking about getting frostbite in his todger, you know, in his book, and it's like, you know, he'd just sort of be a bit of a... Just a bit annoying. Just one of those people I just think of like, come on, lads, you know, stiff up a lip. And I just I just don't really want that energy on the island, I think. Yes. Well, I've heard about uh, the the, the uh, Todger story in the book, and apparently it is just cringeworthy. 
you know, like he says, it's also hilarious. This here's a hilarious anecdote. And it's not at all. It's just like really just utter cringe. But I'm one of those people, of course, I haven't actually read the book, but I'm one of those people who I've not read the book, nor have I seen their documentary, the Netflix one. And, and I haven't even, I've only just seen clips, but I haven't seen in full that uh, Oprah Winfrey interview. But I still like to commentate on them, even though I've not seen them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> At length, you know, based on things that I've read about or other people have told me and based on a general instinct that if I did read them or watch them, I would hate them. (laughs) (laughs) Whilst also kind of agreeing with some of the things they're saying, thinking, yeah, well done for saying that, but also finding them really annoying all at once. But I haven't actually seen it, so I don't actually know. (laughs) I think it's in the same way they could be like a big blockbuster film you haven't... Like, I haven't seen Titanic, but I've seen enough spoofs of it or comments of it you know or memes about it that you know i've got the gist i mean obviously i know what happens with the titanic but <laughs> it goes down yeah but but you know the same with prince harry it's like there's so many comments on all of the things that he's done and said and taken part in it's like i might as well have just seen it it's fine now but um yeah an annoying person to be stuck on an island with I think yeah interesting sure. you mentioned titanic because in my uh last show that i just finished uh, I had a reenaction of the film Titanic. And, of course, I was aware that most people have seen it, but I was aware some people wouldn't have seen it, but it's sufficiently in the zeitgeist that uh, <laughs> you can sort of enjoy the re- reenactment of Titanic, even if you haven't seen it. Yeah. Yeah, so that makes me think maybe I'll go further with the Prince Harry thing uh, and uh, maybe maybe I'll start up like a, a YouTube channel and it will be called... It might be maybe based around all the royals, and it will be called the Royals Uninformed. <laughs> it's just me speculating about stuff and just going on rants about Katie Winslet and other things about <laughs> stuff that I've just su- supposed. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd be a fan. I look forward to to, <laughs> to seeing that, and uh, let's make it happen. Okay, who's going to be the second person joining you on the island? I think it's going to be Suella Braverman. Great. Yes. Okay. I just think she's going to be a nightmare because we're on a desert island and she's going to be constantly going on about people invading yeah. and trying to ward off ward off invaders. Sometimes it's just like Prince Harry has gone off to like see if he can catch some pike on a on a little boat that we've constructed from bits of an old coconut tree, and then he's. Uh, rowing back and then she's going on about we're being invaded. Yeah, or a lifeguard or someone who's, you know, sent from a cruise ship on a dinghy to come and save you. Just, yeah, just any small boat she's just going to be up in arms about. Oh, it would be a nightmare, yeah. So that's one of the reasons we'd be on the desert island so long because, yeah, anyone who came to save us, she'd, she'd have, uh, what, no, what she'd use, some sort of crossbow, I imagine. I don't know. I mean, I imagine if I was on my way to an island in a small boat and I saw her, it would probably put me off. But I mean, clearly, you know, she's, she wants even stronger measures. On this podcast before, we used to get a lot of people saying Pretty Patel and we're like, oh, isn't she awful? And you just think, and then she respawned and now we've got Suella Braveman. And you're like, oh, God, bring Pretty Patel back. I mean, but yeah, Pretty Patel looks positively left wing, you know, it all seems rather mild, you know, compared to Suella Braverman. I mean, do you do do we remember 
Theresa May. Oh, halcyon days. Practically communist. Although, of course, <laughs> they've, been, they've been going on about this. Uh, Theresa May was the one who started it, wasn't it? All this, uh, we're coming for you about the immigrants and things. Mm. It's interesting how like immigrants are just so utterly demonised yeah. in, in certain parts of the press and the discourse. And like Suwala Braverman going on about an invasion. And you think it's a kind of funny kind of invasion, isn't it? Because they're, they're invading with no weapons and coming from areas of poverty uh, and uh, indeed uh, places where they've been persecuted. Weird sort of invasion, but, you know, I'd hate to see what a real invasion is, What, what how she'd react to that. What do they want? They said they want shelter and 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 a job. You're like, ah. Yeah. What do they want? They want to get off the small boat uh, where they're in severe danger on the high seas, and they'd like to get a national insurance number and maybe uh, do some work for the minimum wage, or possibly in one of the sectors of the economy where there's uh, job shortages. Because uh, not, I mean, I mean, not job shortages. The opposite. Too many. You know, because no one wants to actually do the job. Uh, you know, yeah, one of those. That's what they want. It's a big danger, isn't it? It's a huge danger. I'm terrified. Oh, yeah, that's why I never go out anymore. The reinvention of the Home Secretary. It's almost like a, like a Russian doll, but every time you take one out, they just get more bitter and and angry. You know, each time. It's if there's one after her, I, I dread to think what the next incarnation's going to be like. I can't think what that would be like. Uh, I think it might not be necessarily human. Yeah. In fact, I'm not even completely convinced that Suella Braverman is human. I mean, I have noticed that her name, Suella, has two names within it. Mm. It's got Sue and Ella. That suggests to me that she's trying very hard to convince us that she is human and has actual human emotions. But I can... think she may well be some sort of a robot yeah but then you kind of think if you were designing that you'd think oh we can't we can't make her this bad people will twig that she's not a real person they're like i reckon we can let this i reckon she'll slip past them i reckon it'll be all right give it a go let's see how we get on it's working so far just make sure you don't see any of the wires it's going to be fine i think um yeah she is uh she's almost like a caricature yeah yeah, if we if we considered five years ago that someone like that would be in government, we wouldn't have believed it. He said, "Yeah." Well, it's the same with like Jacob Rees-Mogg. Jacob Rees-Mogg was a sort of harmless. He, he seemed relatively harmless, sort of it's a, this eccentric backbencher who didn't. But then, when he actually got into positions of actual power, then it becomes quite frightening. Absolutely. I can't remember who, who said it. it was like he looks like a sort of haunted Victorian ventriloquist puppet. But I, like it just feels so accurate. Like he does look like he's being controlled by strings, you know, and like the fact that his his suit never sort of really fits properly. And it's, it's just this weird kind of ragdoll of a man. But now he's very important. Oh, it's awful. Awful. And uh, yes, and it's one of those politicians like Boris Johnson who just throws in some Latin phrases that he remembers from school and things to appear intellectual. Yeah. So we've got Suella Braveman and her and Prince Harry, I mean, we sort of have to believe really that they're probably going to get on okay. I mean, you know, Harry obviously has taken a stand against racism, which Suella Braveman won't like, but kind of think Prince Harry's still going to be a Tory. So there's 
probably going to be some common ground there. So, you know, if they're getting on famously, I mean, or it's just going to be really awkward because she's going to absolutely love Prince Harry and you're going to sort of have to watch him feeling uncomfortable with, with her advances. Yeah, I don't think Prince Harry will be a Tory. I think famously, didn't he and uh, Meghan make a clear hint that they thought uh, in the election people should vote for the uh, Democrats? Oh, really? Okay. It was uh, there was criticism at the time. He shouldn't have said it. Um, being a member of the royal family, he should be neutral. Not that he's sort, sort of is in the... It's not really, anyway, in the royal family anymore, so I suppose he can say what he likes. Mm. But I think I remember that. It was considered very shocking <laughs> that he made uh, comments. And, oh, very shocking that... Uh, I think they suge- suggested that young people might want to not vote for Donald Trump. Anyway, this was seen as a great shock. Yeah. So I think uh, I think they'll get on terribly. It's one one of the reasons I've chosen the two of them. I think they're going to be at loggerheads the whole time. They've both got their own issues that they'll be going on about, just uh, both independently and arguing with each other. I think it's I think it's going to be an absolute nightmare. <laughs> so I've chosen them for the absolute horror of what it would be like to share the desert island with them. Okay, well, look, you've got one more choice left. So uh, let's see who who you're going to bring on for this um, lovely party of awful people on the island. Well, we've got Prince Harry with all his issues. We've got Suella Braverman with all hers and all the friction. So I just thought the other person should just be the most boring person talking about the most boring things. So I've chosen Ben Shepherd, who is the host of that um, quiz show, The Tipping Point. Yes, yes. And uh, I should point out, I don't have a television. I don't watch it normally, but sometimes when I'm away, I have seen it. And quiz shows, they're, not, they're a bit boring, aren't they? They're really for retired people and, you know, they're not for people who've like got a career or some sort of hope in their lives. <laughs> anyway, they're still, but you know, they're on the TV. But this one, this is just the most boring of the lot. It's obviously based on that arcade game. If you go like on a pier and they've got like an arcade in there with those coins that you put down and they go down, down, down through the little slots and then they go onto these these trays that are moving in and out, and then the coin that goes down, like put maybe pushes some of the other coins across, and they fall into the next level, and then maybe one of those comes down, and you get some coins out of the bottom. It's stunningly boring, <laughs> but then they make it even more boring because they have to answer some sort of questions, and then they put the, the thing in on the TV program, and then it's all described. <laughs> oh, oh, there it goes. Oh, there's your token. Oh, it's going down. Oh, oh you've chosen. You've chosen drop um, slot number three. Oh, oh, that's a. Oh, that's a. That's a tricky one. It's right near the edge. Oh, 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 it's going down. Oh, is it? Oh, it's caught the lip. It's caught the lip. Is it going to catch one of the other ones? Oh, it's caught one. It's caught one. Oh, oh, oh. Yes. Oh, I think something's coming down for the first tray. Oh, yeah. Yes. Come, one's come down. Oh, what a shame. It's caught on top of the other one. Oh, we've gone no further. Oh, what a shame. <laughs> That's what, you know, can you? So I imagine that 
not only would it be really boring having him there because he'd he'd be like saying, oh, uh, like in the evenings after Prince Harry and Suella Bravman have been shouting at each other for hours, he'd say, oh, I'll tell you one or two of my anecdotes uh, from the drop, uh, what if it's called, the drop zone or whatever, that, uh, the tipping point, and they'd all be utterly boring. Or sometimes he would just be, like, be, 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 we'd be by the cliff edge or something, and he'd just be saying, oh, look at that, look at that boulder at the top. Oh, it's getting in the edge. Oh, oh, is it going to roll? And it would be just stunningly dull. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And I think it's, you know, he has been on telly and interviewed people, but a lot of his, you know, day-to-day working life in the last few years has been on that game show. So it's not like his anecdotes would be very good. You know, you'd be looking at the sunset and he'd be like, oh, yeah, it reminds me of the time uh, Sue from Luton dropped a counter down the machine and, and won three hundred pounds, I think it was that day. And you're like, this is terrible chat, Ben. Yes, but you're right. He doesn't just present the drop zone or whatever it's called. He also does some morning thing, doesn't he? I mean, yeah. But he doesn't just bore people in the afternoons. Also in the mornings on one of those weird programs. I don't even know what the names of these programs are. So I've never watched them other than for like four minutes while I'm just getting dressed in a hotel uh, prior to going out. But it's, it's these, these morning programmes that are a sort of strange mixture of kind of current affairs, and they might even get like a government minister on occasion and interview them, mixed with kind of cooking and general sort of inane chat and some feature about how you can make Christmas crackers from a bit of old pork dripping and it's just you know it's just uh, and it's uh, it's not anything it's not uh, it's not insightful or interesting anyway so yeah yeah he would be ideal it's so difficult to get a sense of who he really is it's almost like on his gravestone it will just say ben shepherd a safe pair of hands and that'll be it you know like you like who is he you know do you think like I've no idea if in real life he'd be really nice or a complete dick or just somewhere in the middle. It just lovely, non-offensive Ben Shepherd, a safe pair of hands. Yeah, I think it'd be quite boring, really. Yeah, you kind of think, oh, I've got Prince Harry. Suella's doing my head in. I can't be bothered to speak to Prince Harry. Ben, what are you up to? And it's just sort of just neutral, you know. And he'd be as at home, like he'd get on with everyone because he'd just—that's what he does, you know like occasionally press them a little bit on a subject, but then retreat again, you know, just like a, a very gentle tide. You know, I just don't think you'd get much out of him. No, he wouldn't. And he reminds me of other people who get like that on these morning shows, like that lady called Lorraine. Mm. And she actually took the HMRC to court or something, or had some court case with the, with the tax authorities because they wanted to tax her for something because they said, oh, well, She's Lorraine Kelly and whatever. And she said, no, when I go on TV, I'm playing the role <laughs> of a woman called Lorraine Kelly, who's quite sort of nice and sort of pleasant, but boring. <laughs> like, you know, she's just sort of pleasant. Yeah. There's nothing There's nothing interesting about her at all. Imagine if your alter ego is just a less interesting version of yourself. It's, it's spectacular, really. Yeah, it is. It is. It's, it's brilliant. So, um, yeah, so I'd have Ben Shepard on there. I wouldn't need Lorraine Kelly or 
anyone else like that because Ben Shepherd he'd have all the anecdotes. Yeah. He'd, he'd, he'd be able to say, oh, uh, we'll be, we'd be around the campfire and then uh, uh, Suella would be on like guard duty uh, <laughs> sitting on top of the willow tree in case any invaders come and we'd be just relaxing. Prince Harry would have finally stopped going on about uh, the phone hacking scandal and about his security arrangements in the UK. So he's finally given up on that for the night. And then Ben Shepherd would say, oh, let me tell you about the time that uh, it, was un- it was very unusual. Normally, I would present my programme with, I don't know, even know who it is, <laughs> but on this occasion, they weren't available. So it was Lorraine Kelly. <laughs> you have an anecdote about how they presented the programme together. <laughs> It does sound like a, a really specific kind of hell, Paul. And I think already you're off to a really good start because, uh, yeah, I wouldn't want to spend time on the island and I think it's going to be even worse for you. Um, so we're going to move on now to another category because mercifully, amongst the wreckage of the plane, there was some food and drink left over. Unfortunately for you, it's your least favourite food and drink in the world. What are they and why are they so bad? The food is uh, waffles with maple syrup and that kind of sweet bacon stuff over it. Okay. It's actually actually it's actually quite not I like all those things individually, but it's just it's just those like American breakfasts you get that are just uh, in fact it would be specifically I suppose the uh, thing that would be in my hamper would be all of those really sweet things you get in an American breakfast which like I mean I've 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 got up sometimes in American hotels for a meal, for a breakfast, and I'm struggling to work out what to eat that won't just send send my pancreas into overdrive. <laughs> it's like that French toast stuff, like with all like syrups all over it. But like even bacon, which is a savoury, you know, even that's all like covered in like sugar. You know, they actually put sugar over it and all like fry it for hours. Waff bacon, making maple syrup, waffles, all that stuff. So, and those those um, cereals you get that have unbelievable amounts of sugar in. Yeah, I mean there is sugar in all cereals. I think even if you get like um, or most of them, if you get even just something like muesli or like uh, like wheat bits type thing, I think there's sugar in there mm. a bit. You know, so you have to be careful. But then you get some of these things which are ludicrous. It's like a bit of wheat thing which soaked in sugar, covered in chocolate coatings and all that stuff. <laughs> I don't know how anyone could eat that without just like collapsing from a sort of um sort of sugar rush at the end of it. Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? Just thinking like, what if we just got this fry up and just put maple syrup all over it? That's that's a good idea. It's absolutely uh, yeah, it's ridiculous. And then of course you don't have to have go for all the sweet stuff to have a terrible breakfast. There's so many ways of having a terrible breakfast. Like if you're in a hotel, uh, you know, you get stuff that you would never eat at home. Like I don't think I've ever been at home and thought to myself, oh, I'm hungry this morning. Oh, I think I'll have some tinned grapefruit segments. I mean, who who would eat that normally? Prunes. Like bowls of prunes. And, and and dried papaya and coconut shavings and weird stuff that uh, 
you just think, you know, this is not pleasant. I mean, I've always been against breakfast as a meal. I always think, you know, if you get up late and say it's 10 o'clock, then you're only two hours away from if you hold out and don't have any breakfast from having lunch. Mm. And when you have lunch, you can have anything. Lunch could be anything. There are millions of things you could have for lunch, whereas breakfast is so sort of restricted. It has to be weird cereals, bacon with all fat, that fat round it that hasn't been cooked properly, that's all like you have to cut those bits of fat off. Those weird dried up sausages that you get in a full English. Mm. Hash browns. Why would you, I mean, you would never at lunchtime or evening time, no one ever has hash browns. You never think, oh, uh, I've just done a roast chicken meal, lovely, and vegetables, blah, blah, blah. It's all there, uh, lovely gravy. Oh, hash browns. You don't <laughs> have hash browns at any other time because they're really not very nice. So there's some phenomenally unpleasant things at breakfast and a relatively small number of choices and you could just wait and have lunch. <laughs> I think you've argued that point beautifully. I think for your desert island then, I think we'll probably have to give you a sort of American hotel breakfast buffet. So you've got plenty of choice, none of which you like. Yes, that's what I'll have uh, every morning. And then for my drink, it's just going to be beer. Okay, yeah. Uh, well, beer, obviously a lot of people like beer, but it's rather disgusting, really. <laughs> I mean... It's a horrible flavour, and you have to drink so much of it. It's like a huge, big, one-pint things of it. And then after a while, there's just that smell. The people who've had beer, they just stink of beer. There's this disgusting stench emanating from them, this beer smell coming from their breath. And then they're constantly going into the toilet all the time. They're having to piss every, like, 20 minutes. It's just pissing and... <laughs> drinking and stenching a beer and burping and farting because there's so much gas in them and it's, bleh, bleh, and, bleh, and it's all just stenching beer smells and it's just disgusting. <laughs> yeah, it's hard for me to argue against that. Like, you know, for years, you know, I have enjoyed beer and nowadays, actually, my body has just turned against it and now I have more than two pints and my whole body just inflates and now i'm thinking yeah of course it is because think how much liquid and and gas is in there how come this didn't always happen i don't know if it's like a quirk of youth that you can just keep on going but now i'm like just feel like i'm just carrying around like a sort of sloshing bathtub i know and you can go into like the, the loo in like a pub and there'll be sometimes like men like pissing whilst there's a, a glass of beer in their hand or like you just go into a pub and there's just abandoned glasses of beer in there, like all around the sink and at the urine or someone's like abandoned three quarters of a pint of beer. <laughs> and it's not cheap either. Like you get some horrible kind of lager stuff, like, I don't know, one of those awful ones like Foster's or something. And it costs like £5.70 for a glass of it. And it's just disgusting. It has to come from a. It has to. It has to come from a barrel, and then they say, uh, they say. I mean, it, there's so much that can go wrong. It comes from the barrel, and they say, oh, the barrel's a bit flat. 
Yeah, it's all just going to be a bit laddie, isn't it? I think. And, and I think so. I, I mean, I don't know that Ben Shepherd is going to come up with any. I don't think he's a man of great. I don't know. I met him. Oh, he's all based on supposition, but I doubt he's got a great deal of a, a original thought in him. Just, yeah, beer. Yeah, have a beer. Have a beer. Have a beer. <laughs> We've got no idea because we have so little insight into his personality. I think, but um, I mean, also the beer and those big American breakfasts. I mean, oh, it's pretty heavy gag. I mean, I'm sort of getting full up just thinking about it, to be honest. So we're going to move on to another section. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Because Paul... Fortunately, you will not be without entertainment on the island. The plane's entertainment system continues to work, but just your luck, it only has two working settings. One is your least favourite film of all time, and the other is your least favourite song. What are they and why? The film is Downton Abbey, the film. (laughs) The film of Downton Abbey. Okay. I mean, think about Downton Abbey is... I used to quite enjoy it when it first came out, like the first series, to watch it with my mother, and it was quite sort of fun for a few episodes. And then it just got so boring, so stunningly dull. And I think I've I've watched a bit of the film once once to see what it's like. It's just a longer version of the TV (laughs) programme with even more drawn-out plot lines. And uh, it epitomises to me those sort of British TV or film stuff that's just nothing much happens it's all very twee if you watch an episode of Downton Abbey there's a series of running subplots which are all incredibly boring and slow like over the course of over the course of a whole series of like 12 episodes Maggie Smith will have uh, changed her footman or something because she didn't (laughs) like the first one she's getting another one and then, and then, as if it's not boring enough, every episode will have sort of three or four utterly inconsequential subplots. Nothing much happens in them. It'll be one of them will be the Lord of the Manor, whatever his name is, Lord Grantham or something. Lord Grantham um, has heard that there's going to be a village fate, <laughs> uh, and he's considering um, uh, putting his. Bramble, homemade bramble jelly on at the village fair. But then um, Lady So-and-so says that it's not right for a lord to be selling bramble jelly at the fair. He is the lord that everyone looks up to. It's not right. Uh, but he pushes against it. He really wants to sell his bramble jelly. It's It's a big... 
uh, crisis that all builds up into like some climax of a dinner when someone says, oh, 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 what about my bramble jelly? And there's like an <laughs> awkward silence. Uh, and then like a, a servant, a servant speaks during the meal and a servant should never speak during the meal. One of the waiting staff speaks out and says, oh, I think it's a good idea about the bramble jelly. And everyone's <laughs> looking down at their... Uh, down at their shoes, like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. A footman just spoke during the meal. They're not supposed to. It's only the upper classes that are supposed to speak. Oh, my God. But then, uh, finally, they find a solution. And in the end, the footman says, how about I sell the bramble jelly? You know, <laughs> it'll still be your bramble jelly, uh, your lordship, but I'll be the one selling it. But uh, you and the lord can open the fate and cut the ribbon. Oh, marvellous. They found a solution. Everyone's happy. Oh, great. <laughs> it's so utterly inconsequential, and it just goes on and on, and that would be like a whole hour for that very dull thing to be, to, uh, to happen. And then after every like little scene, there's that sort of ghastly, and it's because, it's, I'm sure it was original when it first came out, but it's now become very cliched and you get it so much on British TV and even films, that sort of pizzicato string music uh, just at the end, like it'll be, do you think it's a good idea um, for me to get a new footman? Yes, I think it's a good idea. And also, if you get a new footman, you can ask them about the bramble jelly. <laughs> and then... Pizzicato music, little bit of pizzicato, pizzicato music. As you see a, uh, a scene of um, a landscape scene as the camera sweeps across to show the beautiful um, stately home in which they live. And now into another scene. <laughs> oh, that's such a, a beautiful... Uh demonstration of Downton Abbey I think earlier you were talking about you know doing a YouTube channel about the Royals I think maybe you should plow all your efforts into doing a, a Downton a Paul Foot Downton Abbey channel because I could watch that for a very long time yeah I think I might do that I might do a Downton re recreation sort of based on my own plot lines yeah I would absolutely watch that I think it's brilliant yeah I, Downton Abbey it feels like someone at one point went should we do another costume drama well, you know what? It's a bit highbrow. I think people get a bit bored of those sometimes. Should we do another soap opera? It's like, oh, there's enough soap operas already. It's like, what if we put the two things together? So you feel like it's highbrow, but it's basically sort of neighbours, but with nicer clothes. Yeah, it is basically a sort of, as you say, it's a, it's a brilliant invention, and they've obviously been very successful. Well done, you know. And lots of people love, love it. Hmm. Uh, but yes, that's exactly what they've done, combined... It's a bit like that show, show um, Rosemary and Time, <laughs> where they thought, okay, what do people like? They like gardening programs. And, uh, what do they also like? Murder mysteries. Let's combine the two. And that's literally what it is. It's like two ladies going around in gardens and saying things like, oh, that's a beautiful laburnum, isn't it? Um, yes, of course, one has to be careful, doesn't one, not to overwater one's laburnum. And also... Um, a slightly acidic soil is best. Um, remember to um, turn over the soil in the spring and put a bit of loam in. Oh, while I'm doing that, 
as I was just turning over the soil, I just found a clue in the murder <laughs> mystery that's also concurrently um, running <laughs> with the rest of the programme. Oh, it's a, it's a clue. It says, it says, and even the clue will be like themed like gardening. It says, pot and Ed. Oh, who is Ed? Uh, what do they mean, pot? What do, they, do, they mean, do, do they mean drugs? And then there's like a thing where they think, maybe it's a drug connection. Who is this Ed? We better interview Ed the gardener. Maybe it's him. Then they realise, oh, how do you not realise? There's a bit missing from the piece of paper. Uh, it doesn't say pot and Ed. It says potting shed. Oh, my goodness. We must go to the potting shed where we'll find another clue in the murder mystery. <laughs> I'm starting to think you should just have your own channel. Why watch TV when I could have you dissect it instead? I think it was brilliant. And uh, Paul, you know what? I I can't I, I can't really add anything to talking about Downton Abbey, the film that um, you haven't already given us such a great example of. So uh, that's going to be with you on the island. And I think it's going to be bloody tedious. Obviously, you're going to have Prince Harry talking about the various things that they got wrong about how this, you know, the. Butler shouldn't have really laid out the bread knife in that way and how the... Well, well, of course, he'll be saying, I don't agree with it. It doesn't matter to me. I don't care about all that anymore. I don't agree with the system. Uh, who cares whether he puts the butter knife out first? But at the same time, it is wrong. So yeah, he did sense. pass the port in the wrong direction after dinner. So, uh, yes, but I, I don't care about it. So, yeah, OK, lovely. And uh, what would your song choice be? My song choice would be Summer Holiday by Cliff Richard. Oh, just because yes. it's absolutely awful. It's so <laughs> middle of the road. And, I mean, it's made worse by the fact that we know that Cliff Richard is still with us and could potentially sing it again. <laughs> and I noticed that he's, like, got a show on, like, in some theatres in this autumn. And one wonders, who are the people who go? I mean, if you've got... You know, my parents in their mid-70s and, and I've got uh, friends over, over the road who are now in their late 70s, early 80s. I know uh, an aunt who's 99 and a half now and she wouldn't listen to Cliff Richard because it'd be too old and she just thinks it's just a load of old-fashioned rubbish. Who are these people that are going to it? And the era that he was, you know, when he started out and it was you know, the 50s and there's rock and roll and really exciting forms of new music happening. And, you know, teenagers were becoming a thing. There was like youth culture for maybe the first time. And and he sort of did that with it. And it was almost like yeah. if you were scared by all of that stuff that was happening, well, here's, here's a sort of toned down, smooth version for you. He took the era of, as you say, rock and roll and stuff then went into the 60s with all of that, the Beatles and all of that all that musical innovation and excitement. And he, I mean, I don't know whether I'm allowed to just, whether it's like against like the rules for me just to sing a bit, but it's just so boring, isn't it? With his boring voice. It's not even like, it's not even a good voice. It's just like a middle of the road pleasant voice because obviously had a reasonable voice at the time but it's not like an exciting voice you'd think wow what a voice it's just nothing it's just 
We're all going on a really boring lyrics as well. We're all going on a summer holiday. We're going to have a break for a week or two. It's just <laughs> awful. It's so bad. And like, you know, some songs you could come round to if you expose them for long enough, you know, or find something in it. But there's nothing that you could really... Like, what about that song would you go, oh, but actually, you know, this guitar play, like, there's nothing about, it's also just so kind of plain. There's nothing you'd be like, oh, yeah, but when this guitar comes in, or like, oh, the percussion is, it's just sort of everyone just doing the bare minimum they can to get this thing over the line. Yes, that's exactly what it is. In fact, uh, I'm now thinking of other songs that are even worse, <laughs> like Up, Up and Away, do you know that one? Yeah, up, yeah. Up and away in a, my beautiful balloon. <laughs> this is like, this is the 1960s. Who are the people who are listening to this stuff? And there's another one. Puppet on a string. I'm like a puppet on a string. Like a puppet on a string. <laughs> so I'll put all of those in. For all the people who were really offended by all the exciting stuff that happened in the 60s, you, these were the antidotes. So I, I suppose we'll give you a, a compilation of kind of the best of the 1960s if you're offended easily by popular culture, I suppose would be the, the long title. Oh, God, that's nice. It's, I'm glad you're giving me a compilation so I can hear all of the really awful songs. Yeah, just when you think one was the worst, another one would come on. You're like, oh, maybe this is the worst. I don't know. Yes, middle of the road, 1960s, awful music. That's what I'm going to have on my compilation. I suppose it'll be on a cassette, won't it? I would imagine. I think so, yeah. Just so that, like, the... the well, I was going to say that way, you know, it can slightly warp over time, but that would probably make it more interesting if it started sounding a bit wonky, you know, then it would sound a bit more psychedelic. So maybe some kind of lossless format that never ages. I think, really, if you're going to put me through the full uh, horror of it, I think it should be digitally recorded and it should be played every day as, like, an alarm in the morning, like on full top quality equipment, you know, with the best, really loud surround sound. Yeah. But it's uh, Cliff Richard. And maybe it should be called something like, keep calm and listen to the greatest sounds of the 60s. Just get every annoying bland sort of reference in there. Yes, I would like that. Okay. All right, Paul. Well, we're nearly out of this awful hellscape of your own making, but finally, the island is overrun by the biggest dick of all the animals. Which animal is it and why? Well, it's the cat. But I should point out, it's not really the cat that I have an objection to. I quite like cats, really. It's really the cat owners. <laughs> okay. So it's a, there being a cat there. Because cat owners are always like in massive denial all the time, aren't they? About their, like they always say, "Oh no, my cat it doesn't it doesn't kill birds because they kill all like little birds and like little mammals and stuff." No, mine doesn't. Mine's very well behaved. <laughs> and also, they're always doing like they're digging up people's gardens and doing nasty things in their gardens, horrible stenching things that come out of them. Oh, no, my cat doesn't do that. My cat just does it in the litter tray. Uh, and they've got no idea what their cat does. They, have, they don't know, but they seem to think that they know their cat and they know what their cat does. And then even worse, it, it's like, it's like the cat, you know, like with, like with a dog. A dog is like really responsive and likes to like 
spend time with you and it wants to please you. But like a cat, it's clearly like you go to a cat owner's house and the cat is clearly, all it wants is just to get food. So it kind of like rubs on their leg and they're like, purrs a bit and then they give it food and they say oh it's so affectionate oh, oh. <laughs> and it's just like but you don't actually get much out of the cat so i just um so it's the cat owners and they say oh lovely little cat oh little sweetie cat where are you darling oh, darling okay oh, come back in <laughs> you know like you've got a mixture of all different kind of cats you get cats that aren't allowed out house cats then you get cats that can go wild. Then there's the other one, the one, the cat that's allowed out, but has to come back in every, <laughs> all the time. It doesn't want to come in. And it's hours and hours of calling the cat for it to come back. And then it comes back and it does a massive dump in the freaking litter tray. It stinks, even though the litter tray has got some award-winning odor eater in it. It's still <laughs> disgusting. And not only has it done that, it has also done a series of shits in various people's gardens, as well as having killed someone's pet duck. <laughs> it's just like this disgusting. <laughs> I mean, I have to, you know, full disclosure, because listeners will know that I've mentioned this before. I do have a cat. I am a cat owner. But I can also see your point. I mean, I think I feel like with, with animals, I'm kind of, same way I am with my kids, you know, like I love my kids. I'm interested in them. You're not so you're not that bothered about where your kids do their shits. That's what you're saying. No, if it's out, out of sight. Out we of, don't yeah. see it. It's not your problem. If they did a shit in the neighbor's garden, it's not my problem. Wasn't there. Yeah. I mean, I get a lot of complaints about my sort of free range approach to parenting, but you know, yes. it's, it, it makes things easier. Um, yeah. I know what you mean though. I think, um, I don't know. It's just I don't want too much chat about cats, really. Like, I've always had cats. I probably will always own a cat, you know, but it doesn't mean I'm that interested in anyone else's cat. And I think if you're stuck on an island with someone always going on about their cat, it's like somebody talks about their kids too much. It's like, I don't care. They're not here. You know, nothing they've done is that different to anything that any other cat or child has done. So, you know, we don't have to have this whole thing. You know, the internet's full of, like, cat videos. It's like... I'm fine to never watch them. Oh, yeah, that's the worst. Like, I love You've Been Framed and programmes like that when you see all, like, people trying to get into a boat and they fall in on the jetty and slip in the water, people tripping on steps, people dropping a wedding cake at a wedding and all that stuff, and you're really enjoying it. And then there's a whole compilation of cats. In fact, cats and children are quite similar. Mm. They're inherently not that funny. Like when you get those, those um, you've been framed programs, watching a cat sort of slip slightly on a fence is not funny. And watching some toddler trip over uh, and then their face goes into a cake, it's not funny. <laughs> so I would, uh, I would, yeah, I would put cats and children in the same category. They, they'd... Okay. I like cats actually. Um, so I don't mind, you know, the cat. And I, I met a cat last week. It was a friendly, lovely cat. So I think it's the cat owners, really. Okay. You'd have to put the owners of cats and the owners of children yeah. in those. In fact, it's you, basically. It's me, I'm saying yeah. It's you. You, are, you will have to join me, <laughs> Vince Harry, Suella and Ben Shepherd. 
Oh man, now I now I'm annoyed that you've picked such a great island full of awful people and things that I have to spend it with you. But at least I will have your Downton Abbey um, summaries to to sort of calm me down at the end of a hard day of of Braverman's ranting. So that is a silver lining for me at least, Paul. Um, But you've done a superb job today. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been such a pleasure. And um, tell tell everyone what you're up to at the minute, where they can come and see you. Uh, At the moment, uh, my new show, Dissolve, and I'm previewing it all around uh, various parts of the UK over the next couple of months. It's an exciting show. It's different to... Any show I've done before, it's it's personal and it's autobiographical. I've never really done a show that's been in any way personal before. And it's all about how I had many years of, uh, about 30 years of terrible mental health crises and depression and about how it all just disappeared in one incredible incident, one incredible moment uh, on the 20th of March last year. This incredible moment when my entire life was healed in this totally unexpected and extraordinary uh, event that I still struggle to really explain, but I do it. I do uh, explain in the show. So that's what the show's about, um, and uh, it's, it's sort of powerful and interesting and and funny. It is funny, I should point out. I'm a comedian, <laughs> so I obviously make people laugh about. 25 years of crippling depression and all this other stuff. <laughs> uh, so that's the show I'm doing, and it will also be going to the Edinburgh Festival in August, and it will be on tour all around the UK in the autumn. Brilliant. Well, it sounds fantastic. So, uh, yeah, look forward to seeing that. And, uh, Paul, thank you so much again for coming on Desert Island Dicks today. Oh, thank you, Dan. Thanks for having me, and I look forward to never going on the island with all those awful things. There you go, the fantastic Paul Foot there. I hope you enjoyed that one. And uh, yeah, as I said, I saw him doing a work in progress uh, version of his show uh, last night at a comedy club in Sydenham, South East London, called The Poodle Club. And it's brilliant. I actually found out about it uh, ages ago uh, when Two St. Douglas was on the show because he, he's been there a few times. And um, yeah, it's brilliant. Really little comedy club, but lovely owners. And it's just a really nice place. It's got incredible toilets. One is entirely Liberace themed. So if you want to go somewhere with see amazing comedy and go into a toilet that's Liberace themed, then I recommend it. Uh, so yeah, check out the Poodle Club. They're going to be closed until September because they sort of close over the summer. But um, definitely a one to check out when they're back. And uh, thank you to them for all their kindness and hospitality. Right, I'm going to get off now because I'm very hungover after having been at the Poodle Club last night. But um, Desert Island Dicks is a sync clap production. It was dreamt up and produced by James Deacon, produced and presented by me, Dan Benedictus. This episode was edited like a beauty by Chris Attaway. And thanks, as always, to Big John Deacon for your endless and boundless love and support. Okay, I'm going for a lie down. Actually, I'm not because I have to look after my children. I'm going to go and sit down. That's it. Okay, bye. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. 
Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.